Transformation Strategies Podcast. Our company is a climate change consultancy built on a fundamental equation, planetary health equals human health equals economic health. We are recording live from New Orleans, Louisiana, a very vulnerable yet highly favored city. And today the Adaptation Strategies team is going to chat about the frightening topic of 400 parts per million just in time for Halloween. I'm Taylor Burns. I'm Grasshopper Mendoza. I'm Steve Piku. I'm Jabade Sandiford. Now that we're all familiar, let's get back to today's conversation topic. 400 parts per million of carbon dioxide in our atmosphere. Like all other species, humans have an instinct to survive and reproduce. Innate intelligence teaches us to be aware of what happens in and around us and thus increases our likelihood of survival. Self-awareness includes or should that of a person and of said person's environment. We have a responsibility to be knowledgeable of the effects we generate and the effects that we are subject to. By accepting science or knowledge, we improve our health. Globally, governments fund science via taxation so that the populations they're responsible to can live an advanced or improved life. Each of us exchanges a portion of our assets in order to become more knowledgeable about things that affect our health and ultimately our survival. One of the most important wide-ranging indicators for the survival of human civilizations is the measure of carbon dioxide in our atmosphere. At the beginning of human civilization, atmospheric carbon dioxide was at 275 parts per million. Later, it was determined that 350 parts per million was a safe level of too much atmospheric carbon dioxide. At that amount, we still have an idea of how the biosphere behaves in order to address and reverse atmospheric carbon dioxide levels using the technology that already exists. At 350 parts per million, we experience extreme weather events, extreme biological events, reduce our fresh water supply, and reduce our ability to produce foods. These four broad categories capture a series of smaller events that are essential to our species survival. This month, we reached 400 parts per million. We are still uncertain of what will happen at our com- current atmospheric carbon dioxide level, but unfortunately, we are much closer to knowing what the outcomes will be than any other population since the dawn of humanity. Add the health of our people, the health of our planet, and the health of our values to the endangered species tally. Solutions that fully improve our planetary health will improve human health and economic health. In shifting our values, we heal our planet, ourselves, and the things we value. We can no longer tarry in addressing these responsibilities. Humanity has many flaws. Climate change just exacerbates them. I'm scared. <laughs> Those are terrifying statistics, to say the least. Can't think of a more appropriate Halloween subject uh, than this. How does this make you feel, Taylor? You know, I, y'all need to know in the audience that we range in age from 60 to 23. I'm 60. Taylor's 23. Grasshopper. Proud 46. Uh, Jabade. Proud 26. <laughs> so I want to know as, you know, the person over the hill, how does this make y'all feel uh, with the way you're looking at your future? This is affecting your future. Jabade? It is a constant struggle to grapple with the lack of foresight, especially for decision makers and policy makers who you would expect to be moved by such statistics and uh, this tragedy is evidenced especially in the discourse in this present 
presidential election and uh, congressional elections that we're facing in 2016. The lack of questions being posed by the media, as well as the lack of coverage for hitting this threshold. Is that because it's not sexy or it's, it's fear? I mean, Steve, said, I've heard you say before that your generation has the playbook for how the earth operates. You guys have the data, and yet, and now, what are you going to do with it? And that's a big lift. And, you know, it's scary to think that people don't want to actually move on that. And I just tweeted the other day that, you know, I'm in my early 20s, and now is probably the best time to be in my early 20s. And it's very terrifying that we have all these things going on about us, but we're not addressing them, we're not facing them, because carbon dioxide, for one thing, one measure of our health and survival, it's not going to stop. It's going to continue going, whether we address it or we do something or not it about, like it's, it's still going to be an issue that we have to address. And that means that I can't cower in fear. I, just, I can't just cry because we have too much carbon in our atmosphere. I have to get over myself and try to do something, if not for myself, then our neighbors. And so it kind of puts this burden of pressure and responsibility and action upon myself, but that's not my personal burden to bear. Yes, there are things I can do as one person, but you know, having this conversation for one to figure out what, what can all of these individuals, these passionate individuals, do to face this issue? Well, as adaptation strategists, we like to triage by toxicity. Um, we know that the agricultural system, the energy system, the built environment, these are all you know, heavy emitters of carbon, and yet we still continue to, well, I, I haven't seen enough innovation. I mean, is innovation going to be you know, the, the solution? Partially, but I think it's all social. We were at a recent conference uh, with utilities, and they were looking how at how to implement best practices and Steve said very succinctly you cannot innovate our way out of our bad behaviors so yeah that's kind of where we're at right now is is it with behaviors um, well there's a couple of things that come to mind for me two big deals one is everybody has a question what can I do what's the big difference I can make and I, I like to tell people the most powerful tool in your toolbox is in everybody's house and it's a fork. It, what you eat drives the market and what you eat, the agricultural industry, industrial ag, industrial animal, uh, are some of the biggest carbon emitters on the planet, some of the biggest water polluters on the planet. So I always encourage people to eat less meat, uh, be more mindful about what you eat, uh, what you buy, what, where you buy from. And the amount of water usage that goes into dairy production as well as uh, animal feedstock. Yeah, and the, these that's a, that's a simple personal thing. But the big question, because Javade, when you, you spoke about the frustration and, and all of us who are concerned about these issues uh, shared the fact that in the pres presidential debates, uh, none of the journalists, the, the can't, Hillary Clinton was the only person to even say the phrase climate change on stage. None of the journalists asked a question about this. And what concerns me, as as a you know as a baby boomer who I don't see, you know I didn't get into politics, I didn't run for office, but I've into politics, I'm just not 
somebody that would run for office. How do we inspire millennials to run for office on these platforms and to use the power of numbers because there, there are more millennials now than there are any other generation? How do we use the power of numbers uh, to, to finally get the change that we're looking for? Is it possible to, to, to find those people that want to take on these really thankless jobs uh, in politics? And I wonder, because I, while I am talking about a subject that should definitely be included in our politics, I know that I don't interact with, I don't follow politics as much as I should, perchance. Um, and so I wonder, Jabadi, I know you're very into politics. Is it just like a, a change of culture? Millennials just maybe we want to find an alternative route rather than depending on elections and votes to address such an issue? I think that a lot of people in our generation definitely think that they could build a separate community that individually they can take actions that go against the grain and they don't really see the value as much in organization and in the heavy lifting needed to mobilize politically. And I think both of those approaches definitely have their merit. However, to really address change on a large scale, eventually our generation will need to move in that direction. And that is something I do lament, that although our generation is very socially conscientious, very socially aware, especially with social media, uh, we are not civically aware, we're not uh, civically conscientious. A lot of us lack the knowledge to even understand how those levers of power work. And that is what it is. It is codified levers of power uh, that the older generations definitely know how to use. And uh, that is why the leaders and the makeup of those leaders reflect that, that this knowledge has been more privileged for that those older generations especially. Well, now that we're at 400 parts per million, which is um, irreversible in our lifetimes, and, you know, uh, we're all familiar with 350.org. Even 350, Don't Kevin. Yeah. yeah, even 350 is a higher level than ever existed in the history of humanity. Um, where should we go with this knowledge now? Is there some, I mean, obviously we, we talked about political solutions, and it's really critical because policy is what's going to guide how we make the change. But what can we sort of impart to people? What can we say right now that uh, kind of gives people a sense of what they can do, what they should do uh, to, you know, next? Do you all have any ideas? I mean, I, I struggle with it. I mean, I, I tend to give people a lot of advice and say, eat healthier, live healthier lives, buy fewer things. And, of course, these don't go over well with, the way we model our economy, because our economy always wants to be expanding, which we all know is not the best. And we often also are looking at what our neighbors are buying, what our neighbors have, and it's a, a lot of it is uh, culture based on seeing, you know, what the Joneses next door are doing, or uh, how much uh, we need to purchase this or that as signifiers. So it's definitely also a change culturally that's needed 
as well as a definitely movement away from those values of consumption. I agree that you vote with your dollars. I think that a lot of industries are ripe for disruption. I, I know that we see it for, with energy and some of the Tesla things that have come out with battery storage. I, I think that there needs to be an in, inspiring model. I think for, for this company, I know that the circular economy really drives us because it's an exciting uh, way to look at the, the linear model that we currently have into the more circular and how then when we talk about innovations and look with the sharing economy, with the redesign, with modular concepts, uh, with minimalizing, these are things that people are just starting to embrace and if they can connect it all with, within a systems framework and understand that economic success and that being successful economically means being more competitive socially so that there are more people who have a better quality of life so it's not us versus them as much, then we can start to get back to a community that cares about one another, has values that are beyond the consumption that we're talking about with a healthy lifestyle, which just reverberates through the health system, the education system. I mean, kids would rather be outside learning about gardens and food and how to grow things than they are, would necessarily, well, you know, I, I, we don't have children, so it's hard to say because they do talk about electrical outlets outside, but in general, if, if we, we like to share that by the time a child is eight, they can identify thousands of brand names, yet you can't identify the native plants outside of, of, of your house. And that's a shame. So if we can just shift the paradigm, we need some disruptive technologies, hopefully not disruptive events, such as the ones we had in Louisiana just recently with the flooding or with Katrina. I mean, we learned from, we tend to do things over and over again. Um, even if they are negative. And it usually takes reaction rather than proaction. Uh, so we need to get it ahead of time. Uh, I think, uh, Taylor, I think we're, we're wrapping up the, the segment. Do you, want, do you have any ideas? I do have, I guess, kind of a closing comment or topic since we're talking about, we kind of shifted to lifestyle and consumption behaviors. And so I think it's worth remind, remembering or reminding ourselves that we aren't as concerned with 400 parts per million in this so-called atmosphere, and we aren't thinking also about the carbon depletion in our reserves, the carbon that we need for our petroleum industry to power our vehicles and to keep our homes warm and things. We also have less of that resource. And previously, this carbon that we claim is in our atmosphere was hidden beneath our feet. So in present day and previously this carbon issue has been hidden from us kind of in plain sight but what if the cars what if when we drove our cars instead of it telling us how much gasoline we don't have what if it told us what if it counted how many pounds of co2 we've emitted or what if it was planted on our clothing tags whenever we made a purchase how much how much um, carbon was released whenever we purchased something or when it was produced or what if it was written on our grocery receipts the amount of CO2 we produce. I think it, it, I think another issue is that it just needs to be more visible. Mm -hmm. And with the... That's where our carbon tax would yeah. also help to price that accordingly, those hidden externalities that people don't usually think about. 
And we can do we can do that. We just don't. Mm -hmm. We have that knowledge. And why don't we? Uh, because there are certain forces that don't want us that's to know. Right. Because if we know, we will act. And that, I think that's a, a shame. really where we want to go with all the work we do as a company is that when you know, you will act differently. And part of adaptation is understanding what's really going on around you so that you can change your behaviors and not only try to reduce and prevent, but at, we're at a point now because... 400 parts per million will not go away in our lifetimes. We are forced to adapt. And so we are all adaptation strategists, which we know is an emerging field. Uh, and we're going to try and define it through these conversations, through the work we do with this company, uh, and fundamentally through the lives that we lead. Our goal is really to weave our lifestyle and our work into something productive and regenerative and that makes a difference in the world. That's that's why I want to be part of this company. Um, Absolutely. Well said. Absolutely. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do want to keep these conversations going. Please look out for our next conversation. In the meantime, you can reach us at adaptationstrat.com.